Father, we come to you knowing that there are struggles, there are doubts, there are difficulties, there are sins in our lives that oftentimes we want to hide or we don't want to reveal. We want to walk in just because we think it feels so much better than doing what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, we pray today, first and foremost, that our anxiety, our fears, and our worries, that we lay them at your feet. And Jesus, we acknowledge you as the son who died on the cross and rose again, defeating sin and defeating death. And yet, Lord, so oftentimes we hold on to those sins, thinking we can hide them from everybody, but the reality is we can't hide them from you. So, Jesus, we confess those sins. Maybe it's arrogance or pride or sinfulness that we are easily hiding from others, but you know deep down inside what they are that we struggle with. In spirit, today we ask that you would speak to us through your word. We know that you are active. Where two or more are gathered in your name, there you are. But we also know that you are the one who convicts, you are the one who guides. So will you guide us into all truth because we know that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, a matter of fact, uh, I was telling the deacons earlier uh, today, I was like, I know I preached on Luke chapter 15 at one point and I decided to go back and look it up. Um, I preached on Luke chapter 15 in 2014. Now, this is when you start to realize, as a pastor, you've been somewhere for quite a while, because it seemed like it was yesterday, really, in reality. I was like, no, I had to be, I, it was 19. I, like, I've kept every sermon. I got, a, I got an Excel spreadsheet. I know the, the, the scripture I preached. I know the sermon title. I know when I preached it. So in 2014, we did a sermon series through Luke chapter 15, and uh, we called it Lost and Found. So we're going to retouch on this, but the reality is I also want you to know that I did prep the sermon. I didn't just go back and re-preach uh, the same old sermon. This is a whole new uh, sermon, but Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 7. So if you would, follow along with me. Matter of fact, if you would, grab your Bible, stand. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along. We're going to stand, we're going to read this, and then you can have a seat. So let's do that. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1, it says this, now the tax collectors and what? Sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Would you keep that in mind? Verse 3, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You can have a seat. And as you do, I want you to ask yourself this question. How do I live my life? Under what worldview do I allow my life to be built upon? 
And the reason why I ask that is because of this. A worldview is the framework of beliefs from which we view reality and make sense of life in the world. I use this as an example. It influences the way we perceive. It influences how we think. It influences what we know and how we act or speak in the world. Your worldview speaks volumes about what you believe, what you say, how you act, what you think, and what you do. It's important for us to understand this idea of a worldview because in today's world, we have lots of worldviews. See, our worldview affects what we think about Jesus, who Jesus is like or what Jesus is like, what the church should be like, and my view of Scripture. When we look at worldviews, I will tell you this. I see there are kind of three main worldviews I'm going to throw out there. There are some others we can look at, but there's the spiritual or religious worldview, right? And the spiritual or religious worldview is, what do I have to do to gain the favor with God? Right? And so that's where you get statements like this. Well, all roads lead to home. If you're a good person, then you'll be fine. If I just maintain and do the good things, right? It's the, even, even the mentality of some people who say they're Christian, but then they'll say things like this. Well, karma's going to get that person. When reality, the spiritual worldview can be hung up in all kinds of ways. It's new age. It's Wiccan. Buddhism, Hinduism, probably not a God, but everything is spiritual. Everything is built upon that. So there's this spiritual or religious worldview that everything functions in that way. Then there's what we call the atheistic or even the rationalistic or postmodern worldview, which is in reality what most people function or operate in in the United States nowadays. Postmodernism says that man is supreme. That man is the one who dictates what is right and wrong. If it feels good, it must be good. If it feels right, it must be right. And the problem with that atheistic and or rational thought mindset is this, that God doesn't exist and man is supreme. In other words, man is God. God's not going to tell me what to do. God's not going to let me or tell me how I have to act. God's not going to tell me what's right and wrong. And a matter of fact, the church in no way, shape, or form is going to tell me what's right or wrong. So that's the spiritual or, sorry, the secular or postmodern worldview, the atheistic worldview. A matter of fact, there was a statement by a guy named Michael Bloomberg. Anybody know who Michael Bloomberg is? He says this, point blank, I am telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping and being interviewed by him. I'm going straight in. I've earned my place in heaven, and it's not even close. So who's God? According to Michael Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg is God. And then the third worldview is what I will classify as a biblical worldview. It's based upon, listen to this, the belief that the Bible is inspired, it is inerrant and infallible. And that I have to allow it to be the foundation upon which I live, believe, say, think, or do. Now, when we get to this reality, what we have to begin to understand is oftentimes in the church, a non-biblical view of people who are sinners has oftentimes crept into the church. 
So we can have a biblical worldview on all kinds of things, and then when it comes to how we look at people who are lost or how we are looking at people who are sinners, then we begin to go, no, 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 no. I'm going to, no, it's all about me, right? Like, whoever makes me feel comfortable, whoever makes me feel right, whoever makes me feel, and listen, I had statements and, and people in the past who would say, that person doesn't belong in our church. So I have to ask you, first of all, to identify, and I'm not asking you to raise your hands or anything else like this, but I want you to identify where you would say you fit in that worldview reality. Am I a spiritualist? In other words, do I think that I can earn my way to heaven based upon my religious works and the good deeds that I do? Or am I a postmodern or what we'll call secularist, which is a very predominant, very common belief in today's world? That's why we end up in the the situations and circumstances we operate is because we operate in this mindset that man is God, so whatever man thinks is right, then man can do whatever he wants. Or am I a person who looks at things going on in the world from a biblical perspective? See, every time Jesus teaches in Scripture, he deconstructs man's worldview and he constructs his worldview. He wants to take man and say, this is not right, so therefore, here is the right way we respond. So when we read Luke chapter 15, and we start talking about this idea of being all for one, right? Like, anybody ever seen the the three musketeers? All for one and one for all, okay? This idea of what's taking place with Jesus when he goes and he says, listen, I am all for the one. I am all in on the one. Jesus says at one point, I'm going to leave the 99. I'm going to go after the one who's lost. And, and, and in order to understand this, we have to begin to dig in to what Luke 15 says. So listen, Jesus' teaching in this parable should deconstruct your worldview about the church and your worldview about who Jesus misses most, which is the lost. In other words, oftentimes, People in the church used to say this, well, I just don't think those people belong. And what ends up happening is we create our own worldview, not based upon biblical truth, but we create our own worldview based upon who we think is good and who we think is righteous versus who we think isn't. So here's the big statement. If you remember anything today, I want you to remember this, that Jesus pursues sinners with the love of God as seen by his death on the cross. Jesus pursues sinners with the love of God as shown or as demonstrated by Jesus' death on the cross. And the death on the cross isn't obviously the end because we're going to celebrate that here in a couple weeks. But we have to begin to understand Luke chapter 15 with this, that Jesus is constantly in pursuit of those who are sinners. And we have to keep that in mind. And he's doing it as a result of or with the love of God, because that's how God loves, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So Jesus pursues sinners with this. But in order to understand it, in order to focus on our one, we have to unpack this in a way that we ask this question, how am I to respond to this parable? How am I to respond to this teaching? Keep in mind that a parable, this isn't something that necessarily happened. Jesus is using a story to teach a heavenly truth. So Jesus uses this parable to communicate the value, the love, 
and the compassion he has on those who are sinners. So it's important for us to dig in and look. Look at verse 1 and 2. And I want to give you this, this statement. In order to understand, or how am I to respond, I have to understand the value of one to Jesus. I have to begin to understand the value of one. Look at verse 15, or sorry, chapter 15, verse 1. He says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering. There is something about Jesus that draws these people to him. And I believe there's a number of things we have to begin to see. Number one is this. Jesus was always caring. Jesus was always compassionate. Jesus always listened. But number two is also for us to keep in mind this. Jesus never condoned or accept the sin of the individual. Never. Never. He never went, oh, that's okay. Go on and do what you want to do. He never went, oh, that's okay. You don't, have to con- you don't have to follow me. You just continue down your path. What he says often, even seen in John chapter 4 where there's the woman at the well and she's in an adulterous relationship after adulterous relationship and she comes and she, she acknowledges who he is and he says, hey, listen, I know who you are and I know what's gone on. And she's like, oh my God, this guy knows everything about me. But he tells her to go and sin no more, which carries the aspect or the attitude that we have to begin to understand the value of the one that Jesus has. So we see this here. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They want to listen to Jesus' stories. They want to listen to what he's going to say. But here's the other side of the story, right? Here's the other side of the coin. But the who? Pharisees and the teachers of the law, right? Which if you read the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, and, and of course I would expect it from Matthew, Matthew was the tax collector, right? Matthew was the one who was kind of on the outside, Matthew's the one who ends up becoming a disciple of Jesus. But as you read the Gospel of Matthew and then even carry it off into Luke, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were some of the biggest problems in Jesus' ministry. Matter of fact, toward the end, that's the ones who got him crucified. When in reality, it's the weight and the sins and the burdens of everybody that led him to the cross. But those are the things carry out. But here's what happens, the flip side of the coin. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what do they do? It says they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So here is what we have to begin to understand. In order to understand all of Luke 15, I have to begin to understand the value of one that Jesus has. Jesus places great value upon the one. As a matter of fact, we know from this statement that not only is it those tax collectors and sinners who are in need of Jesus, but we also know that it's the religious leaders. Because the religious leaders were people who were very religious. In other words, their worldview was a spiritual worldview. It was all about doing the right things. It was all about being the one who has this spiritual worldview that says it's all about the law. When I keep the law and I do all the things the law says, then I'm okay. And then there's the tax collectors and the sinners, right? They're the ones of the opposite worldview. They're the ones in that postmodern worldview. They're the ones who are saying, man, whatever feels good, whatever feels right, just go ahead and do it because it's got to be good. And Jesus turns it upside down. He says, you guys look at this from the wrong perspective. You don't have a biblical worldview. You don't have a Christ-centered worldview. You look at things from those two perspectives. What can you do to earn God's grace or what makes me feel good? And Jesus says, you guys are missing the point. The 
The point is to build our life upon the truth of what Jesus offers. And so listen, the sinner and tax collectors are both in need of salvation as well as the religious leaders and the teachers of the law. And God is committed to going after the one lost sheep no matter the cost. He lays it all on the line. And oftentimes what we look at, at least in the church world, is we look at the 99 and we go, man, that's great. But we oftentimes forget the one. And what Jesus wants to do is for us to align our hearts with his. We want to approach things from a biblical worldview. And the biblical worldview would say is this, that it's great when you have people who come to church who are blood-bought, who have been purchased by Jesus, who are walking in obedience and faith, who have said, yes, this is what I'm I'm, going to do. I'm going to live by a biblical worldview. But listen, Jesus says, if those don't go out, if those don't have a heart for the lost, then I don't believe we get the biggest picture, which is Jesus' desire for the one. Because Jesus says, I'm going to leave the 99 and I'm going to go after the one. So Jesus takes great time and great care to communicate the value of one person. And so today, what I want to tell you is this. You may be a person who says, I have no value, or my value is is only based upon what others think about me. Or maybe my value comes from what I think I can do to gain God's goodness and God's grace. When the truth of the matter is, according to Scripture, that all of us are valued by God, so much so that He sent His Son for us. That our value is not wrapped up in what others think about you, but it's wrapped up in who Jesus is for you. You are uniquely created. You are uniquely gifted. But please hear me out when I say this. Your creation and your uniqueness does not give you the license to walk in disobedience to what God has called you to do or to to be who you are. See, the Pharisees said, well, if I keep the law, then I can do whatever the heck I want to a certain extent. In other words, there were things like this. Jesus said, you have heard it, that you can hate your enemy, but I tell you to love your enemy. Right? Jesus flips it upside down. So it's the understanding of this value of one. In order to understand what Jesus has, we have to begin to unpack and understand this. And so he says, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, here's the overarching picture as we begin to kind of see this. Jesus in this picture kind of is communicating this idea that the 99 are left in open country. In other words, they're not guarded. They're not protected. They're not not being watched by the shepherd. They're kind of left there. But at the same time, what we begin to understand is this, that that shepherd says the value of the one was enough to put the 99 to a certain extent in in a little bit of danger. They're going to face some times, some difficulties, but I've got to go after this one to get them back into the fold, to get them back into the sheep fold, into the flock of what's going on. So if you're here today, and listen, you're a skeptic, Maybe you're hesitant of the church because of past experiences. Maybe you've dealt with or feel you're unvalued, you're not loved. Listen, please hear me when I say this. Jesus, first and foremost, is the one who loves us because he created us. 
So Jesus goes to great lengths before he's even died on the cross to communicate the value of one. I believe this wholeheartedly. That if only one was to ever believe in Jesus, Jesus would have went to the cross just for that one. Because it's the only way, in a biblical worldview, it's the only way to have salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. So the spiritual worldview doesn't lead it. The religious worldview doesn't lead to the answers. The fool says in his heart is there is no God. So as a result, then the atheistic or that postmodern worldview that says man is God begins to fall apart and crumble when I have a biblical worldview. Galatians says that I no longer use my life as a life of sin. And now, as a matter of fact, even Galatians chapter 6 says this, that you reap what you sow, that when you sow into the sinful nature, you're going to reap the consequences or the burdens of the sinful nature. But when I sow into the Spirit, then I reap the benefits or the blessings of a spiritual nature. So I have to begin to understand the value of one and what it means to follow Jesus. Number two, If Jesus pursues sinners with the love of God, as seen by his death on the cross, then I have to understand this, that we are to engage with sinners to reach one. See, what happens here is the Pharisees want no interaction with the people who are lost, the sinners and the tax collectors. They don't want it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not even going to, they're, they're outcasts, they're ostracized, they're not going to be in the temple, they're not going to be around anybody, they're not going to happen. Now, I have to clarify this because I know that everybody struggles with things, but when I talk about consistently, when I'm hanging out with my friends who aren't believers, just because I hang out with my friends who aren't believers doesn't mean I do or condone what they do, doesn't mean I believe what they believe. So it's important for us to play that out. When I tell you to engage with sinners, if you're somebody who really struggles with alcohol and drugs and things like that, or maybe you have a past, then you're probably not going to be the person who says, listen, I need to be around this consistently to be around it. You could be around people who are alcoholics and not drink. You could be around people who are addicts and not do the stuff they do. But I have to engage with sinners to reach one. And so when we talk about this idea of who's your one, I want to ask you this question. Do you engage with people who are far from Jesus? Do you engage and have conversations and learn to listen to people who are far from Jesus? Following Jesus comes at great cost. Matter of fact, we just saying it. I lay down my life. I take up my what? Cross. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you must take up your cross and follow me. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. That being obedient to God, a biblical worldview always says that I will be obedient to God no matter the cost. Because obedience is greater than sacrifice. See, our idea from sacrifice goes right back to a religious worldview. I'll just give up all these things so that I can follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you're not getting it. When you give up all those things, you're trying to boast in your works. When you follow me, then what I ask is obedience. When you acknowledge me as Lord and Savior, when you believe that I died on the cross, then what I'm asking you for is obedience. Because obedience is greater than sacrifice. So I have to engage with sinners. See, it's not the truth you know that changes the world. It's the truth you live that engages it. We can sit back all the time 
And we can say, I know all this truth. I know all this scripture. But it does no good if I don't use the truth of scripture to engage with lost people, to engage in a world that doesn't know who Jesus is. So I could have all kinds of biblical knowledge, but if I don't live the biblical knowledge out, if I don't live obedience out, then I can't engage in an effective way. I think one of the worst things that the church can do is to call people to follow Jesus and then say, it doesn't matter how you follow him as long as you believe. When that's the furthest from the truth. Because following Jesus, according to Scripture, is that I no longer live. The life I had has been buried, and the life I now live, I live in Christ. I have been bought. I have been purchased. I have been redeemed by Jesus. And as a result, if I want to engage with sinners and reach one, or if I want to engage with those who are lost and reach one, then I have to understand that the life I live matters. Obedience is key. So engage with sinners to reach one. Listen, we must be about God's heart and engaging and seeking after those who are sinners. Look what he says. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Hear what Jesus is saying? He goes to great lengths to find those that are lost. He's gone to great lengths to find those that are lost, to the point where he goes to the cross, dies on the cross. Keep in mind what he dies on the cross for. He dies for our sins, for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world. He dies on the cross for our sins. So he goes to these great lengths. He's buried and then three days later rises again. There's the great length to which Jesus goes. So we must be about God's heart in engaging those who are far. We oftentimes withdraw from society and culture and then isolate from the outside. When what we need is believers who are engaged in a daily conversation with those who are lost. In other words, that's the beauty. I've talked about this before. That's the beauty of having not everybody be the pastor, right? Do you imagine if everybody wanted to be the pastor? And please hear me out when I say that. I believe that God is calling some up. He may be calling somebody up right now within this church to say, hey, I, I, at some point I feel like God's calling me to pastor. That's the way God works. God calls out those. But please hear me out when I say this. God, I believe, is also calling us to live out daily biblical convictions in the world that says the Bible is old and outdated and needs to kind of catch up. Biblical truth never changed. And I don't know why all of a sudden in the last 50 years the world thinks that it has to. Biblical truth has always remained the same. What has changed is man's mentality that we have to sit on the throne. So, when we talk about this idea of who's your one and being all for one, we have to understand that someone chased after you. Maybe it was your parents Maybe it was a friend's, maybe it was a coworker, but somebody chased after you. Jesus was pursuing you, Jesus was chasing you, but somebody was praying for you, somebody took the time to share the gospel with you, somebody took time to invest in you, someone did that. And so when we think about this idea of engaging in sinners or getting engaging with those who are sinners, the tax collectors and things like that, then we have to ask this question, who am I pursuing? 
because I know Jesus has already laid them on my heart. And if Jesus has laid them on my heart, then Jesus is pursuing them. And Jesus wants to use you to engage those who may be far from him. And then number three, if Jesus pursues sinners with the love of God as seen by his death on the cross, I want us to see this. How how am I to respond? That we celebrate with joy. Anytime a person came to Jesus, there was great celebration. But what was crazy is that celebration usually was from the irreligious, right? Like the, the Pharisees and tax collectors didn't celebrate. Those who were stuck in that spiritual worldview didn't celebrate. Those who thought they could earn God's grace, who were above and beyond everybody else, didn't celebrate. But listen to what happens. Jesus says this, and when he finds it, sorry, golly, my eyes are getting bad. <laughs> Verse five, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. In other words, he goes out looking for the sheep. And as he goes looking for the sheep, he goes to great lengths, leaves the 99 in, in open country, goes to great lengths. He finds the one, he throws it on his shoulders. That's a sign of care and compassion. Maybe that sheep or that, that lamb has been lost, has been beat up, it's been tore up. It's, 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 who knows? It could be injured. There's all kinds of things that have gone on. But in the world, when you begin to wander off, what we end up finding is this, that people more often than not are, are, are beat down. They're burdened. They're distressed by what's going on around them. And as a result, they feel beat up. And Jesus says, he picks up that one sheep. He throws it over his his, his shoulder with the idea of care and compassion, and he carries it back into the flock. If you like to highlight or things like that, I, I would encourage you to do this because it says, and when he finds it, he joyfully, circled joyfully, so he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. But then here's, here's the celebration. He calls all his friends. You're thinking about, dude, you got a hundred sheep. And you found one, and he calls up all his friends and his neighbors, and it says, listen, listen to what it says, rejoice. So I told you to circle joyfully, now circle rejoice, because he's, he's so excited about finding the one that when that happens, he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. That's exactly what it's like in the spirit or in, in, the, in heaven. In verse 7, it goes on and it says that, Right? This is exactly, I tell you, that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. This is important for us to understand in the church. Because if you are a believer, if your faith and trust is in Jesus, you are a Christian, you said, yes, I am sold out, I believe that Jesus is the only way, I acknowledge his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, then we have to understand what it means to celebrate with joy and rejoicing in the church when one person comes to faith in Jesus. Because that's how heaven celebrates. That we celebrate with joy. Listen, when we go back to worldview and we start talking about this, the spiritual worldview, the postmodern or secular worldview in today's world leads to nothing but death and destruction because it's all about man. It's about man's attempt to do good works, to gain God's grace or love. Or it's about man becoming God and doing whatever the heck they want 
And as a result of that, they reap the consequences, the pain, the agony, the hurt, the heartache. And Jesus says, if you want to be successful, if you want to walk through life and experience life, then I operate in a biblical worldview, which is this, that Jesus pursued each and every one of us as a lost sheep. He went to great lengths. And somebody likewise in your church, your family pursued you, shared the gospel with you, loved on you, prayed for you. And that's where we have to be as a church. We want to strive for righteousness. Please hear me out. We are going to push for righteousness. I believe an effective church is a church that has been set apart. The Bible is very clear that we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. In other words, that we are to be holy. We are set apart. We are different. We don't act like the rest of the world. We don't believe like the rest of the world. We are called to a higher standard. And there are going to be some who say, your standards, they're crazy. They're ludicrous. They're out of line. They're dated. They're old. You need to change. You need to get with the times. And that's nowhere in Scripture that Jesus says, hey, as time goes on, we're going to change the truth of my word. As time goes on, what we see consistently in God's word is this, that people will be treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of themselves, which goes right back to the atheistic or the secular worldview. And when we've run into that struggle, when we begin to run into this idea that it's all about me and my decisions and my thoughts and being in that benefit, then what we end up doing is we set ourselves up for failure. So please hear me out when I say this. When we talk about this who's your one, we got two weeks. Next week is Good Friday, or sorry, two weeks till Easter. Next week is not Good Friday. Next week is Palm Sunday. The following week is Good Friday. We're asking you to be, and please hear me out, this is not just for an Easter thing. When we ask you to identify who's your one, we're asking you to identify and pray for that one. We watched that video, the sermon bumper, but I want you to think about this, to pray about the one person you're going to be sharing, praying for and sharing the gospel with over this next year. And maybe you're bold, maybe you're somebody who'd say, one, one, I'm going for five. Great. Pray big prayers because we believe that God answers big prayers. But for some of us, for some of you, you may be like, one, bro, you're asking me to talk about something I've never really talked about. Jesus went after the lost. Jesus went after the sinners and tax collectors. It created problems with the religious, but it also, listen, it also created, because Jesus has a standard, it also created problems in that world of of the tax collectors and sinners because some chose to follow and some didn't. So it's important for us to understand the joy of heaven is compared to a great party, right? Like, do you know who should be the most joyful, party-filled, spirit-filled people? Believers, right? Like, there should be an excitement, a joy, and an expectation of seeing God work. And oftentimes we will go, oh, Man, we're defeated. We're beat down. Do you think God doesn't know everything you carry? Do you think God doesn't know or care about what's going on in the world? No, God knows. He's gone to great lengths to know it. 
That's why he sent Jesus as well. Because we knew as the times went on that things would get worse. And Jesus still says, while things continue to get worse, I am the rock. I am the cornerstone. I am the one who cares and loves. And I am the one who offers you life and life more abundantly. The question is, if you believe Jesus offers that abundant life, why remain silent? Why not take that abundant life after the one? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your great sacrifice, knowing that your death on the cross was the final payment for all mankind, for mankind's sins. You carried the weight and the sins of the world to the cross, knowing that we couldn't pay it ourselves. Instead, you paid it. And Lord, I know that there are probably some today who are struggling with burdens and doubts, with sins that they may be carrying, with, with, with ideas and thoughts that the world says is okay, but deep down inside we know, based upon Scripture, first and foremost, but deep down inside we know that you are trying to correct us in. You are convicting us of. And so, Lord, we pray on two levels. Number one, for somebody who has never put their faith and trust in Christ, maybe this is their first step. They're the one that Jesus has been pursuing for a long time. They have looked for answers in, in every other thing. They ran away. They looked for, for direction and hope in, in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of avenues. And they haven't found life. But Lord, I also pray for those of us who may be part of the 99. God, we see that there is great rejoicing over the one. And that is how heaven looks at it. That 99 righteous people, while they are great and they're a part of a great movement of your church, God, that when one, when one is found, there is great rejoicing in heaven. So may we approach that with our who's our one. That God, you are planning a great party, and we want to be a part of it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.